Hey there, you're listening to the Not So Breakfast Show with Sasha Endish. You might notice a few audio glitches in this one, but hey, they are our gift to you, and let's just blame COVID and the internet in Hamilton. In today's show, Sasha and I are discussing some hard times that we have both been through and how we've found positive learnings from it. How do we build resilience and recognize the learning opportunities just in the way they are right now when things are happening? And why do people say such crazy things when they're actually trying to help and empathize with you? And people say insane things because they don't know what to say. Wow. Yeah, like someone actually said to me, oh, uh, yeah, I know someone who had a heart operation. They woke up in the middle of it. And I'm just like, I'm I'm sorry. Brain what, farts, right? What brain part farts. of your brain makes you think that that's a great thing to tell me right now? We also have the ultimate life hack for those of you that are a little bit germaphobe when it comes to Lego. So it's a jam-packed show, so let's get into it. Okay, welcome to the Not So Breakfast Show this week, and uh, as always, I'm here with Sasha, and she is recording from Hamilton. Living the dream, people. Every child in New Zealand, when they're about 10 years old, says, when I grow up, (laughs) I hope like hell I live in Hamilton. (laughs) Represent! (laughs) Represent, absolutely. And really, this week we are talking about, interesting segue there, around finding learnings in everything that happens, even living in Hamilton. (laughs) But there is some crazy stuff going on in the world right now, and people are struggling to make some sort of logic or bring some sort of positive out of this. But really, if there's one thing probably both of us have learned is there is learnings on positive events and negative events, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, so many of our life lessons come when stuff's not going well. That's, uh, you know, that's when we find out who we really are. So, like, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? If you'd asked me maybe a year ago, I probably would have said the Christchurch earthquakes, right? We both went through the Christchurch earthquakes. It was traumatic. Um, But really, um, the event that happened that rocked our family last year was uh, we were on a family holiday. Everything was great Uh, on the Gold Coast, living the uh, family dream. And then we got back. And six weeks later, my daughter was having open heart surgery uh, and having a mitral valve replacement. It was completely out of the blue. And I remember just my entire world just literally getting turned upside down. I mean, I I remember when that happened, Ash, and, and one of the things that I thought to myself, and I mean no disrespect to you when I say this, you're really rubbish around people who are sick, right? So if if someone's got a cold or, uh, you know, someone cuts their finger, you, you're you not the go-to person on that. Is that a fair kind of assessment? Yeah. I mean, I don't particularly enjoy hospitals or sick people. <laughs> and so yeah. what's really interesting in this situation is she wasn't sick. So she was asymptomatic. Uh, her pulse was all over the place. She would stand up and go up to 120, 140 beats a minute. She was in the ward with the elderly people who are kind of in their 60s and 70s that are normally having these kind of heart issues. She was just walking around. So it was really hard, even from that perspective, to reconcile the fact that she was going to have to have such a massive surgery when actually when you looked at her, she was fine. Wow. Uh, But I remember, you know, 
going and talking to the surgeon about the surgery and going through the process of it and really the 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 kind of the weight that came when you realize the mm. impact of this. And the solution that we adopted for was to try to repair this valve. And that was kind of like what the surgeon was going to do primarily. But we'd chosen a backup, which was to do a tissue valve. And a tissue valve uh, is a pig heart valve, and they last around 15 to 20 years uh, mm. before you have to have another one. And we'd opted not to have a mechanical valve because she's 17 and you have to have blood thinners for life and all this kind of stuff. So, so we went with Come to our podcast for our leadership learnings and <laughs> stay for the medical drama. Yeah, exactly. We had plan B in the back of our minds, but really we were, you know, we thought it was going to be fine in plan A. Um, the surgery was two and a half hours in and the, and the surgeon actually rung us and said, I can't fix it and you're going to have to go with plan B. Uh, wow. And at that point, you know, it, it just just realising what that meant. And she, he said, are you still going with your plan? And I turned to Joe and I said, well, you know, we made this decision when we were rational and when we had time, so we're not going to change our minds now. Let's go. And then we had to wait, and it was about another two and a half hours before we heard if her heart was beating again. And yeah, and then the next time we saw her was in um, the you know the recovery wards, and they do not prepare you for seeing your child in, right. in that kind of uh, state, but uh, on full life support. But you know, a year later, and teaching her to drive, and she's uh, was at a party the other week, and you know, it's it's different. There's still some stuff that happens, and yeah. it's a little bit different, but. You know, it was it was pretty. That was that was my event, really. So. I, I mean, I love that observation about how unprepared you are for seeing your child like that, and for somebody who has so much personal resilience for yourself, how much harder is it when you are watching the most, you know, one of the most precious people in your life, your immediate family member, your daughter, your child, and all those instincts of protection, and there's literally not a thing you can do. Is that, I mean, I can imagine that being one of the hardest aspects of it. Yeah, it's so difficult because it's so outside of your control but you do see these moments of just exceptional kindness from people like one of the most powerful things for me is the nurse who was in the ICU ward um, just plaited her hair and she didn't have to do that she just kind of just these little things that you just go man that was that was amazing you know and the comments that you get from people Um, and probably at the time I kind of worked through this and we you know we got it walking again and did all the stuff at the hospital but you know in, the, in those little moments I think when people sometimes come along and they almost have like a bit of a prophetic word for you something that really speaks into you and I remember going out with um one of my best mates and we went out for for dinner and it was very soon after the operation I was struggling trying to you know reconcile this in my head and I just said to him it's just not fair this whole thing, it's just not fair. I don't, I hate the fact that this is happening and it's just not fair. And he just said to me, but when did you ever think life was fair? And I just remember this moment of like, huh. And he kind of said, were the earthquakes fair? You know, all these things that happen fair? Like, why did, why would that, you think that it has to be fair for you? And and at that point, it was one of those learning moments within those really hard times that I just thought, you know what, it's not fair, but I am resilient and I can get over this. And 
it's not about me, it's about Sam and how am I going to be what she needs and how are we going to make this a reference for a positive framing for her so that as she goes through life and as she goes through this event that she can use it as something she looks back on and it's been part of her and part of her development as a person. Yeah, isn't that interesting? This I think when we've been blessed with growing up in a relatively safe country and Ish, I don't I don't know if you've noticed, but you're a straight white male. So <laughs> you've kind of had every statistical advantage. So it yeah. feels like every good thing that's happened to you has been something you have deserved. And that may or may not be true. But when something terrible happens to you, you absolutely feel the unfairness. And it might be one of the first times that you experience unfairness. Other people are born in a situation of unfairness, right? How do they get to be, you know, how do they get to be born into those circumstances? Mm. And I think when we have these um, traumatic life experiences, when our lives have otherwise been so richly blessed, it forces us to confront the inherent unfairness, the lottery of life. And that's not for us to get stuck in our victimhood, like life's unfair, what can we do? But to say really bad stuff happens to people who do not deserve the really bad stuff. And mm. we can't control the cards that we get dealt, right? But yeah, we can so. absolutely choose how we play them. Yeah. And, we and can, that's we one can, of our leadership lessons, yeah? Yeah, that's right. We we are very much in control of the meaning that we put around the event. And I mean, this was an event that happened to obviously a family member that I've got, but you've had an event happen specifically to you. You've you've been through some hard stuff, Sash. What's your hardest thing that you've ever had to go through? That's a great question because uh, lots of people will presume that it's uh, when I was 36, I was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer and I had a mastectomy and chemotherapy and radiotherapy and listening to your story, I would have had every single part of my body that was possible to get cut off cut off I would be like the you know the black knight and Monty Python having my arms removed and my legs removed if it saved my child from any of that so mm. I think one of the hardest things through my cancer journey was actually watching my family because you know my mum would have traded places with me in a heartbeat in the way that you would have done the same the same so mm. ironically I I wouldn't it's, I mean, it's not it's not a suffering competition. <laughs> Who's had the worst life experience that they've learned from? But I do think that when things happen to you, at least as a you know as a parent and as a partner, you can deal and process with your own stuff. I find it very difficult when things uh, happen to people around me who I love. Uh, but certainly, uh, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I had the opposite response um, from you, where, where you're going, this is so unfair. I didn't think, why me? I thought, well, why not me? I haven't done anything that would protect me from the randomness mm. of this uh, you know, medical event. And there's lots of learning in terms of how you cope with the prospect uh, of some tough times. And I certainly faced the reality that I might die uh, through that process. And it really sharpened me up on uh, what I wanted, not my legacy to be. I'm, I'm not, don't kind of have the arrogance to talk about legacy, but I did really reflect on the impact that I wanted to make. That if I was only here for one more year or one more month, 
what would the thing be that I most wanted to do? And I know for lots of people, and I, I've shared this before, lots of people, their instinct is to wrap their family around them and go, oh, my kids are the most important things in my life. And I was like, oh, no, I've got, you know, I need to tell the world what I think about a few things and the kids will be fine. And, you know, my husband, he's a good looking man. He'll find someone else. And, you know, I moved on pretty quickly from that that initial um desire to retrench and retreat and just to say actually if I only have one more day mm-hmm. I want as many people as possible to know that they are enough and they have immense potential and if they could just get out of their own way uh, they could be uh, powerful beyond measure to do amazing things in the service of others and uh, unfortunately for those around me I became even more of a self-righteous preachy person <laughs> Well, I remember the way that you told me, and uh, and it was a part of a, I think, a generic email uh, that went out. And it you're said, welcome. I oh, know, <laughs> very special. But there was something quite unique about that email because you said, uh, here, "Here's the facts. This is what's happening. And if you want to come back to me with uh, your survival story of your uncle who survived cancer, you can fuck off. And, <laughs> and if you want to uh, come round and cry with me, well, you can." as well and it was just this this distinct list and it was like but next time we're together you can hang out with me the way you've always hung out with me it was very specific and I remember it distinctly yeah well I yeah I knew I knew what I needed it wasn't people feeling sorry for me at that time yeah and like I even did the same um, with the situation with Sam. I was very transparent with information. So I uh, just let people know exactly what was going on, um, either via text or emails, so that people had enough information so that I wasn't having to tell them again and again. Uh, and one of the things that came out afterwards was they were just like, thank you so much for letting us know what was going on because we were worried but we didn't know how. And then people either go distance or they come in and people say insane things because they they don't know what to say. Wow. Yeah, like someone actually said to me, oh, uh, yeah, I know someone who had a heart operation. They woke up in the middle of it. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. Brain what, farts, right? What brain part farts. of your brain makes you think that that's a great thing to tell me right now when we're two days out? But People saying the same things, eh? Trying to I be helpful. You know that um, it's the circle of grief or the, the circle of something, the rings of attention. What it basically says is that, so when you told me about Sam, I have enormous worry about that, right? Mm. But what I do with the worry is not project it back to you. I go to a circle that's even further away from you. So my mum and say, mum, this is what's happening for Ish. She knows of you but doesn't know you and she can help console me. And then mm-hmm. if she feels like, wow, this is a heavy thing, she can talk to dad and say, oh, you know, Sasha's upset right now, but you direct your concern to someone who is one ring removed from the person who's most experiencing it. You know, And in your case, it wouldn't have been appropriate for you and Joe, as it was happening, to be saying to Sam, well, you know, Sam, this is really hard for us right now. <laughs> you know, you've got to find someone else to have that conversation with. And I think that's been really helpful, even in a work sense for me. And you know that one of the things that I love to do is to take the lessons from our personal life and translate them uh, into our working lives, because I don't think there's a, a separation. I think we we lead ourselves at home and we lead ourselves and others at work. Um, and I think all business is personal. But if you look in a work environment and you say, I know how often 
uh, somebody who is in a position of power over me will tell me off for something, for example, or they'll express some frustration with me. And immediately I feel burdened by that and I want to reduce that burden. So then I just go and spew it onto my team and you like kind of pass mm. the pressure down the food chain. Uh, and I've and I've recognized that. I recognize that that's spectacularly unhelpful to be passing pressure along. And one of our jobs as, as leaders, as we grow and develop and, and work out how we can learn from bad things is how do we absorb that pressure, not hold it all in uh, and give ourselves cancer, which is incidentally what I suspect happened to me. So there's some learning there for people. Um, not to hold it all in, but not just to spew it out at the next you know, the next person down the line. And, and if we can have that self-awareness to go, hey, I need to process this, but I need to process it in a way that doesn't damage people around me, then that's a really useful thing. Yeah, And there's also the learning around building your own awareness and resilience. Like I can comfortably sit in conversations where someone is quite upset and not get upset. Is that new for you? I think so. I think there's been a shift, and I think it's um, it's it's growing. Uh, I've noticed it more and more. Like I can be in situations where someone is um, is becoming upset because of something, and I am I am helpful for them because I'm empathetic, but I'm not getting absorbed into that, which allows them to then have their emotions coming out. But I don't feel like I need to rescue them. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I need to give them a hug or a you know a kind yeah. word. Or say, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah. Sometimes it's actually, it's probably okay that they're just talking. Yeah, and and let's link back to this whole butterfly idea uh, that we talked about last week uh, or fifteen minutes ago, if you're binging. Uh, <laughs> that some of that friction or that um, tension that people are experiencing, that's part of their chrysalis experience. Right, and and if we go in too much to rescue them, we're we're literally picking off that chrysalis, and and they'll die. I mean, they're not going <laughs> to literally die. The metaphor falls over there, um, but but you get it, right? It's it's being able to sit with the space and the discomfort. And I think the more tough stuff you go through, the better able you are to sit with hard stuff. And it's not just that your radar has changed, mm. but it does give you perspective, right? It gives yeah. you perspective. I'm exhausted with all that real talk. Uh, off for a drink. But how cool is it at the moment? All these new non-alcoholic drinks that are out. Seed lip is a great gin. Uh, Chris, my husband, is right into his no-alcohol Peroni. It's, it's fantastic. Wow. And so I want to give you this tip this week, this flavour mm -hmm. hit that you can get at any coffee culture store in New Zealand. We're doing this amazing range, Summer Socials it's called, and it's <laughs> mocktails, but they're super cool. So it's an, an espresso mocktini, uh, like a passion fruit and lime mojito. And you guys should try making these at home. Get some summer flavours without the shitty alcohol into your life. That's what I reckon you should try, Ash. Let me know what you're watching on Netflix. Give me that good stuff. All right. So my favourite show on Netflix right now is Cobra Kai. And uh, look, I, I'm going to flash back to the 80s again because at some point we're going to do an 80s show just on the 80s. But this is the Karate Kid and the guy he beat in the tournament have now got dojos. And basically, if you love nostalgia, if you love the Karate Kid, Cobra Kai, I've just finished season two. It finished on a high. They're filming season four. Season three is coming out. There's your binge. 
get on it. It's a hell of a good ride. All right, here we are for Life Hack of the Week. This week's Life Hack is one for parents, and it's a Lego Life Hack. Now, I never really was into Lego, but uh, kids are into Lego. But the problem with kids and Lego is it gets dirty. So what you do is you put all your Lego into those laundry bags that you put your bra in, you zip it up, throw it in the dishwasher, and you've got sterilized Lego. Genius. Okay, so that's it for the Not So Breakfast Show for this week. A little bit heavier than normal, but that's what we do on the Not So Breakfast Show. We talk about the heavy stuff, we talk about the fun stuff, we talk about stuff that develops us and keeps us relevant. So thank you very much for joining me again, Sasha. Always good to be here. Some of you guys might have a question. Email a question, we would love to answer it on the Not So Breakfast Show. Absolutely, and we will talk to you very, very soon. <laughs>